While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even among the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Father, thank you that we did not choose to be church planters. And as much as we love East Dallas and the surrounding environs, we did not choose this, but you chose us and called us and appointed us to this place and this people so that we would go and bear fruit and that our fruit would last. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may see and hear your word today. Teach us, Lord. Feed us. We open our mouths wide, Lord. Fill them with the nourishing food of the gospel. And transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit evermore in your image and likeness. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Welcome again to All Saints East Dallas. You may have heard me mention we're becoming St. Bartholomew's. We're in a process, this is part of our church plant process, of becoming our own individual parish, still connected to our sending church, All Saints Dallas, but now with our own name, yes, even our own branding, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm so glad that you're here. That process will continue to happen July 1st. It will be official. That's when we pull the trucker's horn, and we make it happen. And then we'll, we'll officially relaunch kind of externally to our neighborhood and our neighbors and our friends in September, around the day of St. Bartholomew's Feast Day. So I hope, you, I hope you see some of the connection that I'll try to draw out tonight between what Jesus says to his disciples and to what St. Peter is doing in Acts chapter 10, what the Lord is showing us that St. Peter is doing in Acts chapter 10. When we think about the words that Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. In Acts chapter 10, we see the fruit the undeniable, history-altering, world-changing fruit that is born in Cornelius and his friends. Jesus gave of himself completely. He says, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And he says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments we see that Jesus kept his Father's command to the full, that he gave completely and totally of himself. And after the resurrection, and after the ascension, and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we fast forward to Acts chapter 10, and we see the result of God's love. And the result is this, that those who were considered the enemies of God, who were considered unclean, common, profane, that those who were not part of the covenants and the promises. Does this sound familiar with the Ethiopian eunuch from last week? That those who were far away from God, God sent himself. Remember, we call that the missio dei, that God sends himself. He sends his son. He sends his Holy Spirit. He sends his people. He sends his church. That's why we're here. 
We're here not because wouldn't it be fun to have one more worship service, but we're here because God has a mission to a people in East Dallas and in Garland and Mesquite and Richardson and beyond to the ends of the earth. And so we see this unique, we have just a snippet of what happens with Peter and Cornelius, but let me fill you in a little bit of the story. Peter's in a little town called Joppa. Do you remember Joppa from the Old Testament? Who fled to Joppa to get away from God's call to go preach the gospel to, to Nineveh? Jonah! And if you've watched VeggieTales, you remember that the Ninevites were very mean because they slapped people with fishes. We're not, we're not sure if that's historically accurate or not, but it makes for a fun story. So Peter's in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house, and at that place now, to this day, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, stands St. Peter's Church. Beautiful church. But in that place, God comes to Peter in a vision. Peter's praying up on the roof. It's the sixth hour, it says, and he falls into a trance. And he sees, coming down out of heaven, this, this big sheet. And on the sheet are all these things that a good Jew is not supposed to eat. Creepy, crawly things, shellfish, you know, you fill in the blank. And a voice says to Peter, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I'll never eat anything unclean. And we see this tension, and there's a cognitive dissonance because Peter is a good Jewish man. He knows the law. He knows that he's not supposed to take what is unclean and put it into his body because that will create division between him and God. God is holy. God is the absolute opposite of unclean. He is completely clean, completely pure, completely holy. And anything classified as unclean or impure or unholy or profane cannot come into the presence of God. And if a good Jew like Peter eats that stuff, he cannot be in God's presence. He cannot be a good, faithful son or child of God. But the voice says, do not call common or unclean what I call clean. And so, as soon as this is happening, while Peter is hearing this happen, men come to his house. Turns out that they are sent by this man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a God-fearing Gentile. Not a Jew, but a Gentile. And he's one whom, before whom an angel says to Cornelius uh, previously in this chapter, your prayers and alms have, rise, have risen before God as a memorial. Cornelius. Send for this man named Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house down in Joppa. And so the men arrive. They take Peter back up to Caesarea. And Peter goes and preaches the gospel. And he comes into the house of a Gentile, which should not happen. A good Jew should not come into the house of the Gentile. So do you see how all these rules are being broken? All these things that were not are being said, you are. There are Old Testament prophecies. In Isaiah, there are psalms that says, those who were not born of Zion, in Zion, of them it will be, they are written in Zion. And we see that a fruit of the death, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all centered on the cross of Christ, the fruit of that is this bringing in of the nations. So, how do we know that? Well, look what happens. Now we're, now we're in the bulletin, Acts 10, 44-48. Peter is preaching the gospel, sharing them with them the word. These Gentiles, these men of Cornelius' house, his relatives, and all his household, it says. 
And as he's preaching, what happens? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among them, this is on page two of your bulletin, from among them, the circumcised, so clearly the Jews. Luke is using very specific language. In case you weren't sure, all the guys with Peter are Jewish. They're circumcised. That was a sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham all those many years ago. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water? Remember an echo of what the, the Ethiopian said. There is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Can anyone withhold water for, these, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now stop right there for just a minute. Remember what happens on the day of Pentecost. They're all together in the upper room. And then there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. This is in Acts chapter 2. We'll celebrate Pentecost in a few weeks. So it is kind of confusing because we're going back in time but forward, but it's still here and it's just all this three-dimensional stuff. But it's okay, stay with me. So they're in the upper room. They hear the sound of rushing wind and then divided tongues as a fire upon each one of them. And they're proclaiming God's praises, speaking in other tongues that they do not know. And all these God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, says Luke, hear them proclaiming God's power, God's praises. And they say, these guys must have had a little too much to drink. 9 a.m., it's more like 9 p.m. And Peter silences the crowd and says, listen, we're, we're not drunk. And then he tells the gospel story, the story of creation, incarnation, and recreation. And when he tells that story, these, these men here and they say what must we do he says repent be baptized and receive the holy spirit so for peter and the apostles in the upper room the holy spirit comes they speak in tongues but for the people who hear peter's first sermon in acts chapter 2 it's a little bit different order they hear the preaching they're cut to the heart they say what do we do he says repent be baptized receive the holy spirit but for these gentiles it never even gets to the invitation portion of Peter's sermon. They don't even have time to fill out the connection card because what happens? The Holy Spirit just call, falls. And so we, and Peter says it. How can we prevent these guys in verse 47 from being baptized? Because they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit just as we have had. So not like the people, the 3,000 that Peter preached to, but like the, the 11 or the 12, if you count Matthias, just like they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, so these Gentiles have. And so God puts on these Gentiles His seal of approval. God fulfills. He says, this one who served in the Italian cohort, who was part of this occupying army of Rome in the land of Palestine, in the city of Caesarea, of this one it was said, He was born in Zion. And friends, all of us are benefactors of God's lavish love. Because none of us were born in Zion. In fact, St. Paul characterizes us as enemies of God. Not even frenemies of God. Enemies of God, he says. But God, who is rich in mercy, comes to us. He sends himself. He sends his son, who sends his spirit 
who sends his people that we might hear the word. And guys, that's why we pray for all the churches in our surrounding area. That's why we rejoice when churches all around us flourish because this is the kingdom of God is not a zero-sum game. We're not looking to make more Anglicans. We're not looking to make us bigger. We're looking to expand the kingdom of God. The people who are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The people who are be called, being called not enemies of God or even servants of God per se, but who are the friends of God. And that is why we are here. All Saints East Dallas becoming St. Bartholomew's to take the gospel of God, the good news of Christ, the good tidings that proclaim that all can be free, that all can be children of God, that all can live in the freedom of the children of God. And we want to see every kind of church that's proclaiming that gospel full. We want to see people who are asleep awakened. We want to see people who are crying out to God in the only way they know how had their prayers answered in signs and wonders. God giving people vision. Go over and talk to that guy. Go see what this family needs at that house. Everything may look hunky-dory on the outside, but they need the good news of Jesus Christ. They need the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. We have this, this gift of tongues that's talked a lot about in different portions in the book of Acts, and I encourage you, Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and look at the gift of tongues. Some of you were discipled in or, or brought up in a community that did not sort of recognize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't grow up in church, but when I did come into the faith, we were taught, well, those gifts are gone. They're dead. This is a new era. We have, we have the New Testament and the Scriptures, and that's good enough. But for us... For Anglicans, if you call yourself one of, of St. Bartholomew's, we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are completely alive. Yes, gifts of faith and administration and leadership, but also the gift of tongues and words of knowledge and prophecy. And just real briefly, St. Paul says this. He says, now guys, I know you're all eager to the church in Corinth because it was, you know, Corinth was kind of like the, you know, it's kind of the high rolling place to live in. At that time, if you were somebody, if you had some power, if you had some flash and some bling. And it turned out that they were taking the gifts of the Holy Spirit and kind of, you know, using those gifts to, you know, add to their, add to their reputation, if you will. And he says, listen, I know you're all eager to speak in tongues. That's great. The tongues are a good gift that edify the believer. He goes, in fact, later on he'll say, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Kind of, you know, throwing down a little gauntlet. He says, but what you should desire... The gift that you should beg God for is that of prophecy so that you can speak for the upbuilding and consolation and encouragement of all who hear. So that you can proclaim to people the mysteries of their heart and they can be in awe, not of you, but of God whose gospel goes forth, whose fruit comes from the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So not only are the Gentiles brought into the kingdom of God, the family of God's people, but we see a beautiful and peculiar phrase that Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, verse 15. And it's this, No longer do I call you servants, 
for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Did he ever call them servants? No. But he's using this language. Now, clearly, we are servants of God. St. Paul uses that phrase about himself. I'm a bondservant of God, or a little more starkly, I am a slave of God. But what Jesus is talking about is what it means to be a friend. Think about this for a minute. Think about the friends in your own life. What it means to have a friend. What it means to be a friend. Jesus says this, I don't call you servants. Why? Because the servant does not know what his master is doing. The servant or the slave is asked to obey blindly. To do the task, to complete it. But Jesus says this, But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, you're my friends, disciples and apostles. You're my friends, church. Because everything that the Father has given me, even the love with which the Father loves me and has loved me from the foundation of the world, Everything that the Father has given me, I have told you, and I have given you. And we see this quality of self-disclosure. Now, we all need boundaries. We all need to be wise as we relate to people. We all need to, to recognize that people aren't trustworthy, and, I'll, and please feel this way about me. Until I prove myself trustworthy, then perhaps you shouldn't consider me trustworthy. Because that's, that's what I operate in. Now, I am an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. That's my personality, which says I am a Labrador retriever who is prone to knock over lamps with my tail to make messes on the carpet when I see other people because I love humans. So that's the box that I'm in. And, and there you go. So I want to trust everybody. Okay, yes, you're my, you're, and you're my friend, and you're my friend. But Jesus, in a really intimate way, and modeling for us what it looks like to have community. And friends, if I could say anything about what I see God doing, that is, I mean, it, it's, it happens in our pastorates, but it happens in all other places. It's not, it's not dependent upon a program. But what I see God doing is, is allowing people to have this self-disclosure one with another, and they're enjoying this fellowship. The koinonia is the Greek word, and that means this mutual participation, a deep sharing. Because people are real with one another. We've had some tragic things happen. We've had people walk through all manner of diseases and deaths, and people don't do it alone. And the stories and the testimonies I hear from you all is that I've never really been able to feel quite at home in a church. I've never really been able to be fully myself in a church before. Because, you know, I've got to kind of hedge my bets and I've got to look, look like I'm at church and make sure everybody knows who I am at church. But here, for some reason, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit to us is this sort of authentic community where there's self-disclosure. And Jesus says, you're not my servants, and I'll tell you why. Because everything the Father has told me, I have told you. I've not hidden a thing from you. And he's saying this at a very dire hour of their relationship. 
This is the night in which he'll be handed over, betrayed by Judas, with whom Jesus completely disclosed himself. And that's another thing that we have to remember. I have to remember. I remind myself. Even Jesus had Judas. You are going to trust people who in the end do not prove to be trustworthy. It's a fact and matter of life. But Jesus says, the one around whom we orient our lives, the one whose friendship counts not only in the here and now, but for all eternity, I have called you friends. And we see that same thing happening with Cornelius and his household. Cornelius, you're not enemies of God. You're not servants of God. You are friends of God. You're brought into this new humanity that Christ has made in his death and resurrection. Verse 16 says this, You did not choose me. And I don't believe this is speaking about predestination, if you will. That Oh, well, there you go. It's, he chose us. Predestination, Jay! Sometimes I have to wake you up because it is, you know, 543. It's okay. There's coffee outside. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you. And look, look in the context, though, of what the choosing is about. It's about a task. It's about the service that we do as friends to our Lord and specifically to the disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That's why I prayed the prayer that I prayed at the beginning of the sermon. Friends, this, not, this church is not my idea. This is God's idea. It is not my vision or your vision. It's something that we hold together as a community, collectively, but it is God's vision. It has to be bigger than our own aims. And so we didn't choose God and say, hey God, like some venture capitalist, you know what? You should get in on this early, God. Because we're going to you know, make a dent in East Dallas. God says, I have people that are dying and starving who are solitary and isolated and alone, who need to see what it's like to be fully human, who need a safe place to experience the Holy Spirit, who need a place to be sustained by the sacraments on a regular basis, who can reorient their lives on the authority of Holy Scripture. So God says, I'm choosing you all and people that aren't even here. I love what Psalm 22 says. The psalmist is talking about praising God and declaring His wonders and His goodness and His power, even to a people yet unborn. Friends, God is building a church here for people who are not even born yet, spiritually to be sure, who are just as dead as a doornail and don't know the gospel of our Lord, but people who are not even alive yet. That's the call. That's the vision, that He has chosen us to go and bear fruit, and that the fruit that he brings forth by the power of the Holy Spirit is fruit that would abide. It's not fruit that falls off the tree and that rots. Next thing you know, you got flies swarming around it. It's fruit that would abide. It's fruit that's supernatural. All the stuff of the world is fading away. All the things that you and I love so much to our own detriment is fading away. But the love of God 
And the fruit that's born from that love is abiding and will abide. If you love me, Jesus says in verse 10, or if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The things that he asks us to do, both what we read in Holy Scripture and both in the moment, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Do not call common or unclean what I call holy. The things that he asks us to do are not burdensome. Now, both our flesh and Satan, the enemy of God's people, make it such that that threshold, that hump to get over, oh, but I don't want to go tell Cornelius. Oh, but I don't want to participate in that thing. Oh, but really, do I need to go talk to that neighbor? But when we give away what's been given to us, we see that the economy of God, we see that it's not this zero-sum game, that if we do give away of ourselves and of the gifts of God, we don't find ourselves more depleted and more empty. Yes, you need rest. Yes, you need Sabbath. Yes, you need to be recharged. But the resources of God are unlimited. They are not controlled by us. Remember what Jesus said of those who are born of the Spirit? It's like the wind. The wind blows wherever he will. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as the wind of God, the ruach of God, the pneuma. This wind that blows and brings life, the fire of God. What does, oh my gosh, do I love fire. Y'all, time out. Quick public service announcement. I got to see one of the biggest, well, I've seen big fires before, like bonfires, you know, at school. I got to help light one of the biggest fires that I ever lit. And after a couple of hours, it, it was like the fire of Mordor. I mean, I thought we were on set in New Zealand, and I was, I see you. you know, but, but it was good, but not bad, not sad. Gosh, see, I took it sad. Still learning about rhetoric, about how to communicate. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is, de is described as the fire of God. What does fire do? burns up that which is extraneous, that which is dead, and makes and clears the way for new life. We're in a season where we are getting ready. We are becoming St. Bartholomew's. This summer we're going to have lots of, we change our rhythm in the summer. We'll have dinners together, we'll have brown bag dinners here at, at church after church, and, and we'll get together and we'll have summer worship nights on, on a Wednesday and once a month. And, but it's all going to be framed around being ready. Getting ready for what God will do. Getting ready to keep His commands. Getting ready to welcome others that are yet unborn, that are not here right now. Really, Jay, one more friend in my life. I'm not sure if I have room. God will make room for us because he is making room for a people. He did it for the Gentiles and thank God because I'm a Gentile, I don't know about you. He, he took his disciples and said, you're not my slaves or my servants, but you're my friends because I've completely disclosed myself to you, all that the Father has given me. And then he says, abide in this love. 
Let your joy be full. Do what I ask of you. It's not only for the good of those around you, but it is good for you. Let us pray. God, we love you. We, we thank you for the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of life found in the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. We thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gifts of your Holy Spirit that are just as mysterious as anything else to us. We pray that you would fill us, God, with every good and life-giving thing. Not only that we would obtain your promises, as today's colleagues said, but that we would be full of life and that we would give it away like Peter did. That we would give it away like you, Lord Jesus, did. And that we would give it away that those who are called your enemies would be your friends and so that we would abide in your love. Not because we're doing more stuff for you, but God, because we are being who you've made us to be. Fully human, following Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son. In the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.